You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned later in the show for this week's Ultra Player of the Week. Not worried at all? Here on today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns, we are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean. I cover the Suns as well as the NBA for SB Nation and Dime Magazine. And you can follow me on Twitter, at BrendanClean14. Most importantly, you can follow the show on Twitter, where you can tell me whether you're worried after the Suns' latest loss, 122-116, at Golden State to the Warriors, a... Uh, Pretty close affair most of the night. The Suns had it in the bag, seemingly, heading into the fourth quarter, up uh, almost double digits, and the Warriors came back to outscore the Suns one, uh, by 12, 30-18, to finish 122-116, again, that final score. So we'll dive into the attention Devin Booker got, not only in this game, but against the Lakers, what he said about it, and then... Um, some some spare thoughts, as well as an update on the state of affairs in the Western Conference. Second segment, we'll also do some DeAndre Ayton talk, guys, as well, because Monty had some quotes there that are worth considering. So let's talk about Devin Booker. 34 points, four assists, four turnovers. A little bit of a rough night there uh, as far as the assist-to-turnover ratio. However, um, another night where not only Andrew Wiggins, but uh, the entire Warriors wing rotation and a lot of their bigs as well, Looney and and Draymond, shading and devoting a lot of attention, blitzing the pick and roll, double teaming, um, helping extra on drives, all the types of quote-unquote junk defenses that Devin Booker has seen for a long time. So that was nothing new. We've seen the strategy. It's worked before. It worked tonight to some degree, right? I mean, he still scored 34, still had 50-plus percent shooting, but when the Suns are, you know, a little bit a little bit inconsistent and inefficient in the late-game situations, that's a bad sign, and, you know, Devin Booker only having those four assists and four turnovers himself tends to mean that things did not go like they should. So he's not worried. Like I said at the very top of the show, um, he told media today after the game that he is not worried about the intensity level. He didn't specifically say that about um, his own performance, the defenses or whatever. But just generally speaking, he said uh, based, you know, on the the level of play the last few games with the playoffs coming up in the not too distant future, he said, quote, I'm not concerned at all. He also said that he's, again, seen that defense before. And he knows that he said, sir, I guess he said certain guys, you know, I would think that means a Juan Toscano Anderson, for example, a Kent Bazemore, for example, some guys that got physical with Book in this game are out there to to serve a purpose. Uh, These enforcer types are there to, you know, get some fouls and make things happen, start you know, getting guys pumped up, get some some physicality in the game. You know, Bazemore had four fouls. 
Juan Toscano Anderson had a, a technical, and that was kind of the game plan. Let's get the ball out of Booker's hands. Let's uh, make him earn his shots, and let's rough him up a little bit. And so, obviously, it's no surprise for Booker to say that he has seen that stuff before. Um, but you know that leads us to the question: Well, what are we gonna do about it um, come playoff time here in Phoenix? And so. It's just not going to be... It's a couple things for me as far as why something needs to be done. Um, First, Booker can't work as hard for 34 points as he did tonight. He can't work as hard as he did for... I think he had around 30 against the Lakers as he had to in that game. He's going to be efficient because he he has the footwork. He has the three-level scoring ability. He can make and create a mid-range shot out of thin air just about any possession. So... It's not that he can't score. It's that he shouldn't have to work that hard to do it, Uh, especially when you're thinking about the postseason and a series that could go five, six, seven games. The fact that Booker is playing 39 minutes just to get those 34 and being beaten up, getting fouled, getting hacked, getting into stuff with guys just for 34 points in a loss, that's not what you're going to want in the playoffs. So that's one reason. Um, The other reason is... It's just not going to be his best, right? I mean, I don't know of a better way to say that, but imagine if he had to work less hard. Imagine if the Suns could turn those those buckets or you know scoring opportunities for him into better offense elsewhere on the floor. So that's why something needs to happen. It's going to tire him out, and it's not leading to the best overall team offense. And you're also seeing it trickle into the defense. The Suns are turning the ball over uh, in crucial moments, which is giving the other team... Um, transition opportunities. We saw that in the Atlanta game as well, even the Cleveland game, to be honest with you. So last week. So those are all the reasons. And I guess the how do you fix it part, there's a a number of things. I mean, one, um, we could see a little bit more Booker off the ball. Uh, He's been isolating. It feels like quite a bit more lately where, yes, there might be some initial action, but he's getting the ball and sort of having to create his own shot. You know, he's coming off of a screen with several seconds left on the shot clock and yes that 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 set was designed to get him open to get him in rhythm but for the most part it's really devolving into an isolation or a quick pick and roll something like that so getting him some easier shots not all 21 of his field goal attempts but imagine if you could get him some easier twos um you know cuts or spot up more spot up threes if that's a possibility uh he did get a few and that's a hard shot to get a great player but um that type of stuff could really help transition uh for him as well so that's one um the other one to me is when the blitz happens the other guys being able to make plays so it's not typically going to be chris paul a because paul is not often going to be uh screening for booker but also because Paul tends to, after he has, um, you know, initiated a set, done his part, dri- driven and kicked or whatever it is, he's going to go space the floor. And he might get back involved in the play later on to, to take a three or to uh, bail somebody out and, and reset the offense, but he is not really going to be involved in this way. So to me, it, it's going to rely on on Bridges and Aiton. So if it's an Aiton screen, let's see more slipping of that screen. Let's see... Um, you know, if, if he does pop or 
gets, you know, if the, the team blitzes the pick and roll and, and Booker's not even able to use the screen, he kind of gets pushed away from, from Aiton, give the ball up to Aiton and then let's let's get some offense going on the other side. Use that attention that Booker has, the gravity that Booker has uh, against the defense. And we, you know, of course it's, it's a, a lofty standard, but we're talking about this on a night that we just saw Steph Curry play. And he had a, a, a very inefficient night, shot about 30% from the field, only one of 11 from deep. But I guarantee you, if you go back and rewatch this, this, uh, this game, the number of shots that he created with his motion off the ball or with his, you know, give and go or gravity in general was immense. And we don't see Booker do that because I actually don't put the blame on him so much. I see it as Aiton needing to be more comfortable catching and, and making a quick decision in those situations. And then, like I said, Bridges, um, stepping up to the perimeter and being able to be a guy who can create a shot when the defense is scrambled like that. He does it in 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 short bursts, but it's not consistent and it needs to be. Um, or cutting. I mean, uh, we just have not seen consistent cutting from this team. It's gotten worse as the season has gone along. And that is something that Bridges can really help with if they are able to orchestrate a set where, um, you know, part of it is Booker is when these guys are taller than him, it's very hard to pass over the tops of these double teams as well. He's not explosive or quick enough to burst through them. It's the reason it works so well, right? But uh, if you can get Bridges in motion, get uh, and that doesn't even always result in a shot. That's the thing about cutting is, you know, if if there's, you know, Bridges and Crowder on the weak side, one in the corner, one on the wing. And let's say it's Bridges on the wing, Crowder in the corner. Bridges cuts, that might bring that corner defender toward the basket. And then you have Crowder open in the corner and you can flip the ball, swing it over to him. You know, the movement off of those actions would be very big and the uh, quick decision making from those role players. So there's a lot to see, a lot to fix there if, if they're going to really solve this. Obviously, it's a great defensive strategy. Obviously, the the Suns' opponents in the playoffs are going to do it, um, but there are things that they can do to be more effective in those spots. All right, let's get into DeAndre Ayton's night, what Monty Williams had to say there, um, and why I'm all altogether not too worried about DeAndre Ayton's performance as we head into the playoffs. But first, guys, the Ultra Player of the Week, which is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, who want to remind you it's only worth it if you enjoy if you enjoy it, and enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. The NBA is, especially this season, guys, with how tough it has been with travel and restrictions and uh, empty stadiums, it's probably been pretty hard to gin up the type of excitement needed to excel. But if you can see where I'm going with this, I'm sure you might be able to. I'm going with Devin Booker. Um, despite the hard-fought uh, defenses that we just got done talking about in that last segment. Booker has fought through it. Um, he's still been effective, still been efficient, as I said a moment ago, and finding a way in these empty gyms to enjoy his first great season and the first winning season of his career. Joy creates success. That is definitely true in sports, in basketball, and this team is finding it, finding that joy. They did it in the bubble. They're doing it again this season. And uh, a very big tip of the hat to Devin Booker, figuring out a way to stay engaged, keep improving, keep staying humble, and, and all those things to put together a great season, stay, uh, bounce back really well has been the big thing for Booker. Um, we've had some nights where we've questioned him a little bit, but all things considered, um, he has been able to 
put together nights when the Suns have needed them, been pretty consistent all year, and so he is our Ultra Player of the Week after a few good performances over the past few days and especially handling the defensive attention that he's gotten. So again, guys, are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy? The ultimate question at the center of every single NBA game for sure, championship run for sure, and Devin Booker answering that. We do not have to worry about that with him. He seems to be having a blast and, again, is not worried at all. Okay, back here. Uh, some quick thoughts on DeAndre Ayton and actually Dario Saric as well. And then I'm going to give you guys an update on the standings as we head into the final few games of the season. And things are still very scrambled, still not looking awesome for the Suns, but not out of reach at all. So we'll get into that in just a second. But DeAndre Ayton, you're going to look at this box score and wonder why everything was so low and fairly so. Um, eight points, just five shot attempts eight rebounds, two blocks. I usually do a segment, sometimes do a segment at the ends of shows, uh, the how many free throws did DeAndre Ayton take? And in this case, zero. Very, very poor night in that one statistic for him. And across the board, not a very promising game. And you would think with Kevon Looney, a player who he's clearly more athletic than, and a lot of small ball with uh, Draymond Green, that the Suns would... Uh, go to Aiton, and Aiton could take advantage of that matchup. You know, I, I very, very highly praised him after the Kings game a few weeks ago when they went small and he finished the game with a bucket over Harrison Barnes, who, yes, okay, is he Draymond Green? No. But size-wise, they actually are pretty similar, and I would have hoped that Aiton could have used that as a little bit of a springboard. He hasn't really done that, and so he was not effective, but what Monty Williams had to say about it is that they should have gone to that matchup more often, so it's hard for me to parse sometimes. Um, I think there's games where Monty intentionally will take the blame and, and kind of spread the blame for not involving Yaten more when it's pretty clear that he could have been you know, doing more with his opportunities, and there are games where I think that's genuinely the case, so you know, without re-watching this game or really Focusing on that, tracking that throughout when I was watching, it's hard to say, but as I said in that last segment, I'm not terribly worried. I mean, a few less turnovers late in this game, uh, really, and the Suns win. Um, so does that mean that Aiton, what would we have been saying then? I just think that we've demonstrated, we, we've seen this team demonstrate so often throughout the year that they can win games without Aiton scoring the ball. Uh Booker and Paul com combined for 58. Crowder had 20, including six threes of his own. Uh, Campaign had several stretches where he was really uh, an impactful force. Torrey Craig doing his thing, making some threes and, uh, you know, cutting, scoring off the ball, all that. So easily could envision a game where the, the, the stat line for Aiton is the same and the Suns still win. So defensively actually is where I think he was worse tonight. There were a lot of plays where the Warriors were clearly not afraid to attack the paint. They basically fouled Frank Kaminsky out of the game, despite, of course, he only had three. Uh, they fouled him so often that he, they, they got him to foul so often that they basically played him off the floor. And they scored, the Warriors did, 62 points in the paint. So, yes, Aiden had those two blocks, but in help at the basket. He was clearly disoriented by the small ball, by keeping track of Steph, by trying to get a hand in the shooter's faces. 
that he gave up way too much at the rim. So that's the area he's going to need to be impactful in for the Suns to win games, and he wasn't today. That's why they lost, I think, in large part, not so much his offense, if we're going to pick something from Aiton. Rotation-wise, Dario Saric, DNP CD tonight. Frank Kaminsky operating as the backup center. Torrey Craig, obviously a player we've seen play backup five in small situations. And obviously the results did not work. Frank Kaminsky, like I said, was effectively played off the floor. I think he had all three of his fouls right in a row in the second or third quarter. And the Warriors were relentless. They clearly acknowledged, identified when he was going to be on the floor and attacked. And so I don't know if that means anything would change next time. Um, However, it's not a good sign. And so the fact that he is getting the trust of the coaching staff over Sharic and is playing that poorly means that the situation's pretty dire. I feel like Torrey Craig, to me, has become the most likely backup center. Um, I think when you really get into big games, big, big second halves, whatever it is, you aren't going to be able to afford to have Kaminsky or Sharich out there if they aren't able to defend and keep defenses honest as shooters. And so maybe one of those guys, you know, you can get by with a committee approach and, and see which guy has it that night and, and roll with him. But if that's not the case and, and there's a big game seven or a second half or again, whatever it might be, you're going to see Torrey Craig be there. And especially uh, that's the case because the final rotation change today was that Jay Crowder started um, back in the starting lineup. Yes, Cam Johnson is still out, but Craig had been starting ahead of Crowder the past couple of games, even with Cam out, so this is notable. Um, I think it's going to stay that way. I think it's the Suns' best option. I had hope that Cam could bust in there. I talked about it on the show. After that Jazz game, I really the, the early April Jazz game, I felt like Cam had broken out. The Suns beat the, the Jazz. Uh, Cam had a big night. He stayed in, if you remember, over Mikhail Bridges in that overtime period, made a big three in overtime to help seal the deal, but it hasn't worked out that way. And so Cam being very, very cold from deep and now having this injury, it seems like Crowder is going to stick in that starting spot. I like Craig off the bench because again, it makes it easier to make him more of a backup center option. And once you have Cam in there in general, it'll just be a little easier to smooth things out. You can see how, you know, we've seen Sharich and Kaminsky play with Aiton at times when when Cam or Crowder have been out. So if Cam can stay healthy throughout the playoffs, that takes that part of it out. They don't have to go big with the four anymore, and they can do those small ball lineups a little easier. You could envision something like Craig, Crowder, Cam, or Craig, Crowder, uh, Bridges. Something like that gets a little easier if Cam is healthy. That, that squares us off. I want to give you guys a quick standings update before we get out of here. So stay tuned on the other side of a quick break for that. But first, a quick word from Bilt Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. I told you guys uh, I have been in the middle of a pretty crazy new workout regimen. So trying to take in a lot of protein, trying to make sure I put the right kind of stuff in my body so that I'm not feeling it the next day when I work out. And Bilt Bar has been perfect for that. Uh, Yes, they are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft, they're delicious, they're easy to chew, they taste like they should be candy, but they're healthy for you. So it's been perfect. It's been the right accompaniment 
uh, maybe right before a workout, right after a workout. If I'm hungry in the middle of the afternoon, I know I can pop one in. It'll be full of protein, low sugar, low calorie, just that nice snack to get me what I need, that fuel that I need. So for example, one of my favorites, peanut butter. 17 grams of protein, just 130 calories, and 4 grams of sugar. I have a box of double chocolate on the way, which is another one of my favorites. Bilt Bar just doesn't miss. Every single one is pretty delicious. I've tried every single one at this point. I can tell you for a fact, I don't dislike any of them. Whatever flavor tickles your fancy, floats your boat, whatever phrase you prefer, try it out. I'm sure you will love it. Guys, go to BiltBar.com right now to try it for yourself. Use the promo code LOCKED15. And you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, use the promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Today's show also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Yes, the MLB, NBA, NHL, all in full swing. And BetOnline has you covered with news, sign-up bonuses, and contest info for every single sport. But your BetOnline bet of the day, courtesy of me today, is this Preakness Steak stuff. May 15th, this weekend, the Preakness Steaks. I'm sure you've heard uh, the junkie horse and the nonsense going on with that. The guy who seems to be basically uh, a rule breaker up and down in the horse racing world. But this bet online has you where you can bet Medina Spirit versus, that's the junkie, with specific other opponents. So Medina Spirit versus Concert Tour. Concert Tour plus 104, Medina Spirit versus Midnight Bourbon, uh, Midnight Bourbon plus 177. I believe it's just who's going to finish ahead, and the idea that Medina Spirit, this could get invalidated, this could be, um, it looks like he's going to race, but I wouldn't trust the fact that this horse is going to do well. Um, So bet on the other ones really quick, while the odds are still what they are, and uh, enjoy. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, guys. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. The Triple Crown continues and the busiest time in sports sets in. Head to the website or use your mobile device today. Sign up and when you make your first deposit, use the promo code LOCKEDON to get a 50% welcome bonus right to your account. Again, on betonline.ag on the web or on their mobile app, use the promo code LOCKEDON when you make your first deposit to get a 50% welcome bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, a quick survey of the standings here. So in case you missed it, the Lakers did win their game. So that means they are nipping at the heels. I believe they're one game back of Portland, who did not play tonight, and Dallas because Dallas lost. So Dallas in the five seed and Portland in the six seed, both of those teams are now tied The Lakers in that seven seed are one game behind both of those. However, the Lakers do not have the tiebreaker in either of those two series. So basically, they would need to finish a full game ahead of either Portland or Dallas to move from seven into sixth. That's where things stand now. Um, So good that the Lakers won so that they can maybe avoid that play-in game and the Suns can get out of their first-round bracket and good that Dallas lost just to give the Lakers more of an opportunity to move up. Portland did not play. Like I said, they play Utah tomorrow, which is a pretty crappy game in terms of who do you want to win if you're a Suns fan. Uh, on the one hand, you want the you want Utah to lose because you want to try to catch them. I would personally say that ship has sailed. 
I don't think the Suns really have a reasonable path toward getting it. I'm not even sure if it's mathematically possible at this point. So Utah winning that game is probably the thing to root for so that Portland can uh, lose ground on the Lakers. If Portland loses tomorrow and obviously the Lakers win, uh, they would need they play Houston. So this is very much in play that Utah could beat Portland and the Lakers could beat the Rockets. And those teams would move into a tie at 40 and 30. Now, again, the Lakers need to finish above the Blazers, but with two games left, that's pretty good um, to be able to finish one game ahead. So, of course, the Suns play the Blazers on Thursday, so the Suns can control their own fate here a little. If Utah wins against Portland, then the Suns have a chance to win. That'll move things a lot closer toward the Lakers getting out of the seventh seed. Now, Dallas also plays on Wednesday night when most of you will be hearing this on Wednesday. And so that's not an easy one by any means either. So you could also see, you know, New Orleans beat Dallas and that would help. That would make a three-way tie between five, six, and seven in the West with two games left for all three of those teams. So I won't bore you with the semantics of who each team plays and all that, but the Lakers beating the... um, Beating the Knicks tonight in overtime at home was a very massive win and went a long way toward the Suns avoiding the Lakers in the first round. Anthony Davis was great again. Kuzma came back and was playing well. So uh, we're not necessarily rooting for the Lakers to do well, of course, here as Valley sports fans, but uh, nice to see that they are um, getting out of the bracket. So that's where things stand there. I think it's just very difficult for me to imagine again that Utah will not be the one seed So their final three games are Portland, of course, like I just broke down. They also then have Oklahoma City and Sacramento both on the road. Very winnable games. I feel like my guess is Utah wins out, finishes 53 and 19. Uh, The Suns just don't have a way of catching that. So it's it's not going to happen, guys, I wouldn't think. However, if things break as they might, you could see Suns Mavs in the first round, Suns Blazers in the first round, those teams we were talking about so often a couple of weeks ago, and then it would be Clippers in the second round. That's pretty much etched in stone. Doesn't seem very likely that Denver catches the Clippers. So if it's, you know, something like Portland and then the Clippers, I I, I don't think that's terrible, all things considered. You want that first round matchup to be winnable. And I think the rest is gravy. That's how I've been treating it personally. Uh, The Suns can get to that second round. We'll be enjoying ourselves so much just watching that after all these years that even if it's the Clippers, even if it's a tough one, um, the the Lakers, for instance, it is what it is. Uh, I wouldn't fret too much about the second round until we get there, guys. But things are breaking a little bit better than we last talked for the Lakers getting out of that playing game. That's what's most important. So keep an eye there. Keep an eye on... Lakers, Rockets, and Portland, Utah, and Mavs, Pelicans on Wednesday night. No Suns game, of course, so those will be big ones. Uh, I will be back with you guys on Thursday morning with Kellen Olson breaking down our top five moments, our top five memories of this Suns season. So be on the lookout for that. Until then, enjoy your Wednesday.